happy inauguration day, my friend. It's going to be amazing. It is. I mean, we were expecting rain clouds and everything else, and the sun is out. Nice. I, I even heard a couple of birds chirping. Wow. Wow. There's a life on Earth. Yeah, we were supposed to get a bunch of rain overnight, and we got zero rain overnight, which is <laughs> typical, you know, Southern California. Everybody to the north of us is getting snow. We got a little drizzle of rain. I mean, we haven't we haven't had any significant snowfall this this go round. I think yeah, you sent me like one picture with a light a light dusting or something earlier this year, and that was it. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that, that's basically us too. We've had one day of rain in the last nine months, and we are, I guess, that the coast here is kind of getting ready for about a week solid of rain is what they're predicting. So we'll see what uh-huh. happens. We'll see if that actually happens or not. So, somehow something happens where all of a sudden it scoops north or it scoops south and it just completely yeah. misses California. Yeah. Well, we had tried to go to Shenandoah National Park. Oh, that's right. This past weekend. And <laughs> we get there after a uh, about an hour and 45 minute drive from our house out there yeah and it's a beautiful drive to like just wind through and uh pull off to the side of the road get some you know nice mountain air do a little bit of hiking that's what we were planning just you know nothing major but we get there and you know this is like a hundred and some odd plus mile stretch of road that cuts along the ridge line of easternmost part of the Appalachians mm. Shenandoah mountain range mm-hmm. and of course we get there and they're like well the roads, the Skyline Drive is open for the first five miles. Like, what? Oh. <laughs> so they actually had it like locked, locked up. So, so there was like a gate of, across right. the. You know, they're like, well, you know, the sun is starting to come out. You know, maybe they'll uh, open it up for. They have gates every so often. You'd think, because I did check the uh, website, and you think that they would actually post these kind of warnings or closures or whatever on there. Did they? No. <laughs> he had one job. <laughs> one job, Mr. Website attendee. Webmaster. <laughs> oh, that sucks, man. Yeah. I, I would imagine like, I'm just trying to think like if I went out to Glacier National Park on my trip this summer and, you get up to the road that everybody wants to drive on and it's closed. That would suck. Like, yeah, it's the one oh. thing that I wanted to do here. It's like the main attraction. Well, you guys, uh, you guys ready for a, a show today? I saw some photos of the, of the mall. It looks pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting because, um, obviously with everything like securely locked down, I mean, I don't know how many people will actually be there right? Um, in person, but right. there will be. The last time I got a chance to drive through before all the shit hit the fan, there was, I don't know, there were these massive like uh, AT&T um, mobile Wi-Fi station, mobile um, stations. Mobile. Yeah. But I mean, they're like these massive antennas and stuff, and they're positioned every two blocks from all the way at the very end of the mall, which is the Lincoln Monument or Lincoln Memorial Monument, really. (laughs) Um, The Lincoln Memorial all the way up. And so every two blocks you go up, there's these big, huge trucks, big, massive antenna arrays. It it was, 
it was pretty impressive. And like you're driving around and you see this like this one sculpture. <laughs> this is what kind of threw me. So there's this like really, really cool kind of like abstract almost so it's it's a sculpture outside of the National Gallery, the East Wing, the IMP mm-hmm. building. And there's this there's this really weird sculpture that it looks like this contorted antennas and and you know or you know like it and then right next to it is the AT and T thing and you just think it looks like this extension of this this sculpture maybe that's what it was yeah it's a it's a I was like wow that's pretty damn cool traveling installations no no Cormac those are for the the five G that's what they're <laughs> for they can and then they're going to control the people and spread the virus and well yeah. Obviously, though, they were planning before the attack on the Capitol to have a bunch of people there, right? Because yeah. of what you're talking about, like that. Well, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure they had like bleachers and stuff ready to be set up. And oh, yeah, yeah, they were they were setting up bleachers along the. Uh, so you know, traditionally, you do the inauguration. Everybody's kind of like on the mall, and they're kind of facing towards the Capitol building. And then there's a procession down Pennsylvania Avenue, and you, you'll you'll see like you know people will line up on it, and then there'll be bleachers, and there'll be all sorts of dignitaries and bands and everything else. And mm. I have no idea what to expect today because of yeah. what what occurred. But it's also weird that they were just preparing to have giant giant crowds as well, right? So it's like it really is like a divided way of thinking. I don't. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. just yeah. very different. Like, like, let's do this. No, this happened. Now let's do this. Let's do the opposite. And it, it's so funny because it, it is like almost every project that we work on that, that just made me think of that. It's like, this is going to be an exact opposite response to the thing we have. Right, right. Let's do the opposite and see if that works. It's such like the pendulum swings from extreme to extreme. And all we test are the extremes. And it's like, everything actually works in moderation. <laughs> <laughs> just got to have right. those rules in place and the right people in place. But the problem is, I think is that that moderation is difficult. You got, it's hard to plan for. Right. Exactly. It, it is extra work, but it's like, I, I, the, the last building that I truly, truly worked on was that math and science building. And I remember that the users had laboratories with, they were in these old Pereira buildings in Huntington beach at the golden West college. And the doors to those classrooms had a pane of glass in them, had a light that was about four inches by six inches. And on the new building, it's like, we want the entire wall to be glass, right? (laughs) We want views. We want people to see what we're doing. It's like, you realize you've got cabinets and you've got like all these stations where you need students to do things. And so obviously it didn't end up all glass, right? But it was like, it was an exact opposite reaction to what they had and it seems like this is similar to that it's like we're gonna have this amazing party no we're not gonna have anybody right it's like mm. yeah we we tend to humans tend to to think like like that i think it's it's very black and white on many levels interesting stuff so what what is going to be happening then is it going to be like just a televised event and it's going to be streaming on the internet and et cetera, et cetera, and everyone's going to watch from afar and order takeout and and support their local restaurants and stuff like that yeah pretty much i mean that's what it seems like it's a good way to boost the economy so i will be honest with you i really didn't know um i mean uh, now that i'm looking at it i i know the buildings but i guess i never really knew uh william Pereira. 
Oh. And yeah. uh, so now I'm looking at them. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know these. You and know some of them. <laughs> y- yeah, yeah. There's the yeah. ones that the ones that we were Just, dealing with are, are pretty nondescript and bunker like. I mean, they. I mean, they're they're pretty distinctly Pereira, but at the same time, I wouldn't ever offer them up as a great example. Looking at these weird kind of ones that are at University of California, Irvine, mm. um, and they are like bunkers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's ah. it's what do you do when you need a lot of the same thing really cheaply, right, and fast, <laughs> which is typical schools, right? Uh, I wonder. I wonder if. Uh, the people who had designed the um, previous pier in St. Petersburg had <laughs> either copied him or, which I'm going to go out on a limb and say they probably just copied him. Um, or if it was or, him. Or if it was him, which I'm going to have to do some research. Time to go into the internet machine. I have a book here on Pereira, actually. Just pulled it out. And uh, on the cover is the Geisel Library which many know who Dr. Seuss is. I believe I've heard of him once or twice. Yeah. If you could have worked that into a rhyme, that would have been amazing. <laughs> I was, I, I totally was like, damn it. I missed my opportunity. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that that's the university of California at San Diego. And it, I've been in that building. It's like a tree house. It's, really amazing on the outside i don't think it's very amazing on the inside it's not as successful the floor-to-floor height is not very big um the stacks it's a library obviously so it's lots of stacks of books and it's very dark and very 70s on the inside so it seems kind of period piece but the way it's it's cited the structure is amazing um and then other buildings like transamerica building and he he's you know worked on some pretty amazing concrete structures over the years you guys just gonna watch online Seems today like yeah. t- today's gonna be a low output work day because all eyes are gonna be on this, which you know they should be. This is a huge event. It's a big turning point, hopefully, for the country. Fingers crossed, man. Fingers crossed. Um, oh wow! <laughs> He's still looking up. Uh, Bill Harvard designed it. So one of the longest, or one of the oldest. Uh, architecture firms in St. Pete, Florida is uh, Harvard Jolly and Associates and started by William Harvard Sr. And I knew William Harvard Jr. And uh, he was the one who designed it. Mm. Connection. Nice. Interesting. Uh, I still feel he probably, you know, maybe flipped through a Pereira book once or twice. Oh, yeah, of course. My gosh, I mean, looking at some of the things, and I don't know if you've, you know, are even remotely familiar with the inverted pyramid pier at in St. Petersburg, but it was, it was very much, it has a very kind of a watered down Pereira feel to it. Mm. It's not as expressive in the, in in kind of just the, the, the concrete expression, Mm. we'll call it that was a lot cleaner clearly in Pereira's buildings and this uh, pier, which what's funny is that this pier which has been controversial over the course of a hundred plus years. Yeah. 1889 was when they had like the first pier out there, which was kind of like the end of a railroad. And they had, had then, you know, they'd gone through so many different, this one, it was called the million dollar pier, which guess how much it cost. 
This <laughs> um, is like the uh, six million dollar man. <laughs> exactly. How much should we make him worth? Six million has a nice ring to it. Six million. It has an X. Dollars. Has an X in it, so it's a very powerful word. Yeah, and and so you know they had this kind of. It was a it was a very beautiful Mediterranean revival. Then when that started to fail, they had replaced it with what was called the inverted pyramid. It was built on the same pier as the other one. And so so now we're talking about like a you know, hundred year old pier, like the actual pier structure with a building on top. Mm. And this building on top was to the point of failure. I mean, we I, my previous firm that I worked for in St. Petersburg had done a lot of like interior renovations and things like that to it. And we actually took a boat and we went underneath the pier and to see the exist, the condition of the pier underneath. And Hmm. they kept trying to put bandaid after bandaid after bandaid. It really needed to be um, demoed. It really, really needed to be demoed. Start over. Yeah. And, um, I've already put my foot in my mouth one time about the uh, the new pier, but <laughs> I I will I will save judgment until I get a chance to see it. Mm, yeah, probably a good idea. Which, yeah, which you know what? But it which, wasn't the pier we were promised. Let's just say that. That's true. True. <laughs> What's interesting uh, about about Pereira's stuff is that there's definitely no style that's consistent. No, I mean, no. going from these bunkers that we're talking about to Guys, a library to Transamerica building, which is pyramidal, right? To the LAX theme building, which is completely different. More, I don't know, Jetsons, <laughs> Googie. It's it's hard to determine style for that that one. Um, but you know, it's kind of a saucer shaped with these legs which coming out of it. It's uh, if you look it up, LAX theme building. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, everybody, yeah, yeah, it's yes, the iconic yes. oh, LAX yeah, 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 yeah. restaurant. Sorry. I yes, I was still looking. I was still looking for the Geisel. Oh yeah. Yeah, the, the Geisel is is iconic as well. I mean, so it, definitely iconic. Maybe there's the theme, but it's not. There's no visual kind of continuity other than material. I think between his building, there, there's some that you can you can pull apart. Like there, there's some inverted py- pyramids. There's some regular pyramids. It's very strong yeah. geometries, but I wouldn't no, say that. Yeah. That um, I'm looking at the uh, Jack Langston Library at mm, um, UC Irvine. Yeah, and I mean that's very Jetsons to me, mm. and and even you know the LAX building, what is it, the uh, Transamerica Pyramid, right? Then we'll have to put put this and then link the guys in the library. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, a library, come in. I mean, come on. <laughs> I I have some photos of it that are just it's it is an incredible thing to walk under. That that is one of the things I love about that kind of a building. You know, there's several of them in this area, like. Disney concert hall is another one where you're walking through it and under it. And it's, it's not like you're walking along a sidewalk next to it. And then it just juts out of the street. It's like, it encourages you to explore the space in which it inhabits. And I think that that is, that that's just an amazing way for buildings and people to interact. And it really, I think opens up the opportunities of architecture and space that most people don't, uh, consider when they think about buildings, right? They think right, they right. just think like I go into that thing, but these really kind of, you know, I hate to say it, but total arca speak, right? They're they're really blurring the lines between indoors and outdoors, 
um, mm-hmm. by the use of materials, but also by the way in which it works in section, right? So the way that you go under and over and through things is it encourages kind of this playfulness. And, and it's, it's interesting with that building in particular, the Geisel, because it, you know, it is brutalist. And I heard somebody on a, on a podcast recently say, you know, these terrible brutalist buildings. And it was like, it's like they all just get lumped into this category of terrible and oppressive. And they're not, right? They're not all like that. Um, and right. not only oh, that, right. but it's, you know, it's a construction technique. It's not a, a visual style necessarily. So it's interesting to see or experience, I should say, a project like that where you see it in photos and it's definitely intriguing. But when you go visit it, it's something else entirely. Yeah. Pretty cool. You know, it was funny as um, so my son had uh, taken this past um, semester, he had taken a uh, architectural history course. Oh, cool. And it was, through... I hated those courses, but now I would be like all over it. <laughs> oh, you know, and that's the funny thing is like when we were there, I mean, I slept through most of those, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah. It was studio is so brutal. There's only so much time in the day to sleep. So exactly that class was it turn out the lights turn on the slideshow the monotone droning voice of art hacker at cal poly pomona yeah i'm going to sleep now (laughs) and this is the geisel library yes you're like (laughs) yep oh drooling on the on the desk yeah but he so so he like you know came out and he was talking to me one time he's like why do people hate brutalism so much i find it actually pretty interesting and that was like how he had opened the the conversation it wasn't like you know no preface anything just it was jumps just like right into it launched right into it you know why do people hate brutalism and and so you know it's interesting is because then then we were driving through dc and looking at some of what i call like federal brutalism and there's such this wide range of buildings as you go down they're just off the mall mm-hmm. you know in, in like you know like you can look at like the fbi building which is right. one that blurs the line of like ugh, mm, to but still interesting the, yeah but still interesting mm-hmm. to to things like you know like the department of education uh and then a couple of other buildings that are just like amazing and they're like you know, up on a pedestal and they're very light and airy. It's, it's something very similar to like the Geisel where, you know, it's, it's up off, you know, it's, it's the, the mass of the building is held up off the ground and it only feels heavy because of the concrete material. But, you know, you wonder if it was made with something else, <laughs> would it have felt like, you know, lighter and kind yeah. of floating? It's foam with a light concrete exterior. But, but yeah. that also starts to speak to the, the structural nature, like it's, it's kind of Calatrava in that sense where it's like, it gives you the sense of wonder of how did they do that? Right. Because right. it is right. such a heavy, heavy thing that is seemingly floating and to be able to pull that off and convince a client <laughs> that this is the solution for, for your campus or whatever. It's uh, oh my gosh, how, yeah. how did that happen? Right. Like, like there's, there's the outcome of it and the brilliance of the design and the structure and working hand in hand with, with the engineers to make it happen. Uh, but that, how did it even become an option is what I want to know. <laughs> right. Like, like that is the behind yeah. the scenes reality show I want to watch when it comes to this stuff. You know, and it's, it's funny because, you know, if you look at like maybe the explosion of campuses in probably around the late fifties, early sixties is where you see those buildings occur the most. 
I can give you an example of like the building that we renovated at WashU was a a 19th early 60s brutalist building. They just absolutely hated it. They wanted to do whatever it took to like, you know, it didn't fit with their campus aesthetic, which not quite sure. And I mean, their campus aesthetic is a collegiate Gothic and it, you know, here they've got these three, actually four massive, they were, you know, concrete and stone, uh, brutalist buildings. And there mm-hmm. was, it was, and, and I find something, you know, pretty intriguing about them, but you know, for some reason they had a very kind of like hands off, you know, they, they hated those buildings, but I think the users um, generally do special. The campuses generally do hate them because they're so hard to modernize with the times, right? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Everything yeah. is in a wire mold. Everything's in a conduit. Everything's strapped to the outside. You can't put anything in the walls. You can't hide it. You can't make it pretty. There's You can't enlarge openings to put windows in because there's rebar and everything. And yeah, I get it, right? It's not a... Because... <laughs> but like they do that on new buildings either. They they really don't. They just strap stuff to the outside. They do whatever's fastest and cheapest, but... They, they see it yeah. as like these band-aids over time, kind of like the pier you were talking about. And, and it does, I can see how it gets old. And then there's like the architectural historians who are like, save the buildings. They're worth, like they're, we can yeah. never get rid of this heritage. And it's like, well, times do change. And we kind of like, so you can see both sides of that argument, right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yes. Yeah. But like you guys said, you stripped it down to the bones if, Gosh, and yeah. then stripped it clean and then you go back and you you put all that stuff in right because you don't have to worry about it's not just a, a band-aid you got to think for the long term and you can run new right. chases and you can run new soffits and ceilings and plenums and all of the things that hide all of the crap that nobody wants to see well, that would be that would be the goal yes yes <laughs> Un- until you get in there and realize that they decided to do a um, floor to floor height of eleven six with waffle slabs. Yeah, <laughs> and you know you have this extraordinarily deep system of, that you can't do anything in. That you really can't do anything because it's just in. pockets, I mean, right? It's like yep. yeah, individual yeah. coffers that you you're not going to make stuff go up and down and up and down and up and down. And any it. and if anybody's ever done a lab building, knows that you know this mechanically intensive building. Yep. That needs so much, you know, duct work and everything else. And air volume, it. right? So like the duct oh work gosh, is, yes. you, not only do you need a lot of it, but you need big, you need a big, big. lot of it. <laughs> yes, big, yes, exactly. And then you just like, uh, I really do need, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, like, do you have a concrete stretcher? Because I need to like pull this building apart a little bit more, yeah. you know, give it some more height. That's the scale tool, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the stretch command on this building. Yeah, that's an AutoCAD reference for you for you young youngsters. Please. What's AutoCAD, Grandpa? What's AutoCAD? Stretch. Do you mean scale? No, I do not mean scale. I mean stretch. Do you know that AutoCAD is still thirty five percent of Autodesk's income? Yeah, their, their revenue. I was reading a a debate um, on it was probably the Entree Architect Facebook page about what software should they know, and I was reading this one guy's more recent contention that why does anybody do BIM? I mean, it's such a waste of time. I mean, we don't build things off of BIM, so why are we spending so much time and money on them when we could be more efficient in working in AutoCAD? Sounds like somebody who's never used it. First of all, I. 
held my tongue on you know responding back but it was just like yeah this is definitely somebody who's sort of stuck in where he is now where he's been and not really thinking about the future of of the practice and you know just go back and listen to like 15,000 different you know references that we make to you know model based delivery processes and things like that which you know kind of contend why we need to be moving and you know hell if i if i was going to renovate any of these large scale buildings that we do i want a revit model as accurate as i possibly can get so that i can really truly understand all of the different intricacies of all of the new systems that would be going in there yeah it's kind of interesting yeah totally i mean it it really does yeah the whole like some people call it clash detection and and some people call it clash avoidance right it's like um, yeah. you have the ability to really put all those systems in and their real sizes in their real mm. spatial constraints and with the hangers not running through the ductwork to hang the sprinkler pipes and all that kind of stuff right you have that yep. ability does it mean people use it no it does not right it gives you the tools it doesn't force you to use them and it's interesting because i i'm looking at a similar graphic that a friend of mine sent me i think it was yesterday talking about practicing architects which software what's the primary ones used in their office so this was a a poll so it's just a poll it's not a scientific study or anything of over 500 practicing architects yep you're right Ontario architect community so revit 37 percent archicad 14 so we're at 51 percent right there for bim tools doesn't mean they're using it for the full usage of bim right autocad at 27 percent sketchup at six rhino at one miscellaneous at 15 so what's you know i, I think it's interesting that that the rhinos even on the list because like it's it's not a primary tool because the primary tool is the one you use for construction documents i'm guessing is what most people are thinking right um, right so there are architects using sketchup um there are a lot of architects still using autocad but but then the next graphic was what are they teaching in school and i wouldn't even say that it's what's being taught in school right because i don't think that schools teach software very much anymore they don't have time and so they just kind of like when we were in school and they're like, figure out how to make a physical model by yourself. They don't teach you how to do it. They, they didn't in my school. No, no, not at all. You figure it out. And it's like you use the tool for the job, right? And so in that one, there's no BIM software on the list. It's 73% Rhino. So this is like the opposite list of what we just heard in practice. And so there is a total breakdown, right, between what students are learning, but because of what they need, right, they need fast, iterative, fluid design tools that are focused on creativity. And offices need um, efficient design tools for production. Those are not mm. the same tools, people. Right. <laughs> They're not. Right. And they they likely never will be because no nobody can do all of those things really well. And I'm glad they're not, because if they were, it would suck. Like, you know, the tools would never get like, it's like Revit now, like everyone's complaining that it doesn't get updated. You know why? Because everybody uses it and AutoCAD just gets your money or not AutoCAD, Autodesk gets your money. So now they're looking at other markets like construction because they've got all the architects money, right? Like they've mm -hmm. got you locked into that subscription. There's no incentive to change it and make it better. Where are you going to go? There's nowhere to go. <laughs> got you by the you know what so and let's and let's be honest with you i mean how many people 
truly use it to its fullest potential anyway. Oh, the true potential of BIM is nobody, no, I shouldn't say nobody, rarely is that surface scratched. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Quantity takeoffs, fabrication, like it's it's still just used to produce drawings. And, and that's why it's not a fundamental rethinking of how we can do what we can do. It's just a further sharpening of the drafting pencil. But that's yep. that's how yep. it's yep. been utilized. So and and so then you know I can see the argument that he's making that why spend the money on BIM because you know I'm only going to do the 2D. But that's not really where we should be going because that's not where the future of design and construction shall be. Well, I would I would also I mean I would take that further and say that I don't think architects should be competing on details. I don't think they should be competing on the drawing side of things because that's not where right, the architect's right. value is. So, oh yeah. So, no, like, I don't think you meant to. I don't think you meant that with what you were just saying. But I also true, true, think true, true. that we need to have a fundamental rethink because, like, look at Eric Reinholdt's work. I mean, I, he just posted a video showing his uh, yeah, process. Yeah. What does that guy use? He uses AutoCAD and SketchUp and physical models, and he produces beautiful, amazing work. Now. There's not a lot of it. Eric doesn't do a lot of projects. He's in a very remote part of the country, right? He's in mm-hmm. by Acadia National Park in Maine. He's on he's on an island in Maine that, you know, what do you even do there in the winter? You make you make YouTube videos, right? Like Eric does. Mm-hmm. Um, but but honestly, like the work that he does is not like he uses the right tool for the job for him, for a one person shop. And then we shouldn't say that the tools should be everybody should use the same tools, right? Not everybody does the same, even the type of work. But, but man, there's, we shouldn't be competing on the drawing side of things when the builder is the one who's going to, first of all, not going to look at your drawings when they build it, but have better ways to do that. And so rather, I love the idea of us sticking to design intent and having those constraints be, and those decisions be manipulatable over time in the most flexible way. It's such a hard problem to describe and to solve. I'm not I'm not trying to right. do that right now, but there's a there's a much larger stance to take here, which is what where is the value of an architect and is it in that thing that we produce? I I tend to think it's not. But we're stuck by our own doing making that stuff. Right. And I think this is where newer delivery models have really tried to solve that, like IPD, right, um, as, a, as opposed to design, bid, build, um, because then you actually do have all the players in the room, including the builder and the owner, and saying, here's the most valuable person to produce this piece of the puzzle, because uh, not everybody can produce the entire puzzle. You're just redoing some you know, you're doing work that everybody else is doing. Why Why do that? You need to do your piece of the puzzle. And in our case, it's design intent and synthesizing ideas. It's going from uncertainty to certainty. It's it's not drawing the window sill detail, unless that's incredibly important to the design, right? In some cases it is, but in most cases it's not, depending right. on the scale of the project, so... So many, so many like little disclaimers in there, I know, but um, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's hard to describe when you don't dive really deep. So anyway, happy Inauguration Day. Happy, happy. We're turning a new leaf. Yeah, it's hope. still sunny outside.
A good sign. I'm uh, hoping for the best. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed.